All right, guys, so my name is Jordan Adams. I'm one of the staffers on Salt Company here. Um, and Ellie actually got to have just like a baller summer and we were talking about it at the leaders retreat. She like literally just went around to different national parks this summer. What, was it for class? Like, I don't get it. It was for class. You went to national parks for class. Okay, cool. Um, which is like the most Minnesotan thing that I have like ever heard in my life, right? So Minnesota is just all about like the nature stuff. And, and if you want to be truly Minnesotan, this is what you got to do. You got to go to national parks and you got to get yourself a sticker and you got to put it on your computer. You got to put it on your water bottle. And it's like, what's up? I've been to national parks. All right. That's how you be a Minnesotan, which is interesting, right? Because here's what that is, is you, you go, you drive somewhere for a long time and then you, you're outside. That's what it is, Right. And some of you are ticked at me right now because you're like, is, are you hating on national parks? No, I love it. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting, right? Like, what are we looking for out there? I, I, you're just outside. There's outside everywhere. What are we doing out there? Well, there's something that is like a magnet to us, especially if you're Minnesotan. It pulls you in. So I've, I've told some of you guys this story before, but one of like the most memorable moments of my life was... Uh, my sophomore year of college when I was in Istanbul, Turkey. Just had a baller summer in Istanbul. It's such a cool city. It gets a, gets a weird rep on the news. It's gorgeous. It's an awesome city, but it's also insane. There's like 18 million people there. They're jam tight. There's construction everywhere, different languages. And so that's like stressful and hard to process. So I was like stressed the whole summer. And so towards the end of the trip, after like having that like high stress all summer, we decided to take a trip to the Black Sea. And uh, we decided to camp out by the Black Sea. And so we drove out to the Black Sea. We set up our campsite. And we were sitting around the fire and about to go to bed that night. And we decided, nope, night's not over. We're going out to the Black Sea. It was like midnight. And so we started walking towards the Black Sea. And it's surrounded by these foothills. And so we started to kind of like increase the elevation. And then when we got towards the top, it was almost like you had to climb it. So we kind of climbed up towards the top. And I got to the top and I stood there. And like there it was, right, the, the sea. And it was completely like framed in by these foothills. And there was not another living soul in the place. It was like me and my friends. I thought there would maybe still be some people out there, some houses, some lights or whatever, nothing else, just the sea. And so at that point, I just took off running, ditched my friends, just booked it down this little foothill thing. I remember my, my feet like hitting the sand and I just ran straight into the sea. And it was like an absolutely perfect night. It was like 78 degrees, there wasn't a cloud in the sky and the water was just like glass. There wasn't a wave anywhere. And there was a full moon and the reflection of the moon was like a little bit off the shore. So I waded out and literally stood in the reflection of the moon at midnight and looked at the stars. And I was trying to figure out how to describe to you what I felt and I don't know how, but I also think you guys all know what I'm talking about right? Like you've had those moments where you've been in that national park and you've been on top of a mountain or you've looked up at the stars at night and something like went on in you that it's just like, all I know to do is like this thing. And I don't know how to describe it in words, but like something happened like in your guts, right? And, it, and, it, and like at the same, you, you feel like small and insignificant when you compare yourself to the universe but at the same time, you somehow feel large, like you're getting swept up into something bigger than you. 
that moment, that feeling, that thing into you is pointing to something. What you're experiencing in that moment is, big word for it, is transcendence. That you're experiencing something that is bigger and more powerful and more significant than you. And you could just say, that's just like the normal beauty of creation. But, but you know it's more than that. You know that's not just your normal like, oh, it's pretty out here. Like there's something else going on. That beauty is pointing you towards something. More specifically, that beauty is pointing you towards someone. It's pointing you towards the God who is. The God who made everything. And he's screaming out to you from his creation saying, hey, I'm here, I exist, I'm real, and I want to know you. Like that God is yelling out to you saying, I'm here and I want relationship with you. That, that's crazy. And, and here's what I'm, what I'm asking you to do is like, don't just stop at going, oh, creation's cool. Like don't just stop at the creation because it's a pointer to something more. Stopping at the creation going, oh, creation is beautiful would be like driving to the Grand Canyon, seeing a sign on the side of the road that says Grand Canyon 20 miles this way, pulling over the car, walking up to the sign, putting your arm around it and taking a selfie, made it to the Grand Canyon and showing all your friends and then stepping back like, oh man, look at this, it's beautiful. Like the white really contrasts with the green and it's just beautiful and then just hopping in the car and going home. That's stupid, right? Like just actually go to the Grand Canyon. If you stop at creation and just go, oh, creation is beautiful, you're missing the pointer for the real thing. The point of the sign is to tell you where you're going and to build anticipation for where you're going. Creation is the sign and it builds anticipation for what you were made for. The purpose of creation is to point you to the creator who wants to know you. Okay, so this is what I'm saying and it might sound like weirdly normal to you, but it should absolutely blow your mind. You can know God. Here's what a lot of you have grown up around Christianity. I know, I know not all of you have. I don't want to assume that. A lot of you don't have Christian backgrounds, but a lot of you do. And you've grown up around Christianity, kind of this like cultural Christian thing, right? Like it was just a thing that your family did. This was my experience, right? Like, like the same way you're from Bloomington, you grew up playing soccer, you grew up Christian. Like it, it was a thing that you did. And this is what I want you to know that's not Christianity. It's just not. They call it Christianity. I called it Christianity. I called myself a Christian. I wasn't one. I didn't get it. Christianity is not a thing that you do. Christianity is this being, the God of the universe, that you can have relationship with and not even just know about him, but like know him the way that you would know a friend. Have, have relationship with him. And that is actually the purpose of your life. That was the thing that you were made for. That's the only thing that can satisfy your soul. It's what you've been looking for throughout your life. And so I wanna look at Genesis 1, and then we're gonna flip to John a little bit later, and I wanna talk about who God is. Who is this God that would write his nature into creation and then would wanna know us? So the, the first page of the Bible, so if you're new to Bible, this is the Bible. It's uh, easy, page one, okay? I would love it if you would like follow along with me kind of as we go. You can get it up on your app. We've got free Bibles in the back if you ever want one of those. We care about the Bible. We think it's awesome. It's like a really sweet book to read. Um, and that's what we talk about here. 
Genesis 1-1 says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, we just learned a ton about God actually, but I need a quick side note. So for some of you, that statement right there, like you can't, you actually can't get on board with that. That God made everything. If you're honest with yourself, you're either super skeptical about Christianity and you can't get on board with that, or you would call yourself a Christian, but but honestly, that's hard for you to believe, that there was like supernatural origins to the universe. One of the reasons why that's hard for you to believe is because Christians take Genesis 1 and like fight about weird stuff. So this is something that like was gonna happen in connection groups this week that I'm shutting down right now, okay? Here's what was gonna happen. We're talking about Genesis 1. We're gonna go to connection groups and somebody's gonna be like, you know, those aren't literal 24-hour days, right? Or somebody else is going to be like, what about evolution? Christians' evolution can't work, can't happen. Nope. Those are weird arguments that this text is not about. Stop doing it, Christians, okay? Here's what I'm saying. There are are Christians, like solid Bible-believing people that land on completely different spectrums on like how to interpret Genesis and if evolution is a, a real thing and like how that interacts with Christianity and how faith and science come together. They land in entirely different places and that's totally fine because here's the deal. This text was not meant to answer those questions. This text is a poem. The point of the poem is to make you step back and go, wow, and to experience like the beauty of something. So that's what I want to do tonight, not talk about weird arguments. And if you're skeptical about Christianity because of what you believe about science or evolution, you think the two can't come together, actually just move on because that's not a good objection to Christianity. You can be an evolutionist and be a Christian. I'm not like saying advocating for that. I'm not giving you a position. I'm just saying like, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about more important stuff. Okay. A second reason why you might struggle with this idea that God created the heavens and the earth is because you just might not believe that. You, you, you might not believe the supernatural explanation for the origins of the universe. And, and here's what I want to ask you to do. Well, first off, I want to say thanks for being here. Seriously. This is not like an insider thing where we all just agree on everything. This is like a place with people with different opinions. We're pumped you're here. Let me push on it a little bit, okay? Just, just hear me out. And you can push back on me too. Come talk to me afterwards. Let's have a conversation. I'm fine with that, Okay. Here's what I would like for you to see if you find the the Christian explanation of the world hard to believe is that every single explanation of the origins of the universe is really difficult. Here's why is because none of us were there. So it actually turns out it's kind of hard to figure it out. It's this thing that's big and like way beyond us that none of us could observe. And so every single worldview explanation for how, what this all is about and what it's for is going to have holes in it. So you can't just poke holes in somebody else's explanation, but not have an explanation yourself. And actually every explanation is going to have holes in it. For example, secular naturalism. The idea that the universe just happened to explode into the thing that it is today that can support human life from a singularity just kind of randomly is a big leap of faith. Now, especially if you're saying that there's only one universe. I know I'm diving deep and it's like week one of Saul Company. Just, okay, I'm almost done, but I just wanted to nerd out about this. All right, bear with me. Especially if you only think there's one universe, it's like 
just statistically crazy to think that that would happen by chance. The probability of that happening is unbelievably low where you can't actually logically hold that position. And so what you could do is say, well, maybe there's millions or billions of universes and this just happens to be the one that can kind of support human life that was perfect for that. Problem is we don't actually have any evidence for that. I'm not saying that I sort of just changed your mind magically overnight, right? All I'm asking you to do is realize that there's holes in every explanation, not just the one different from you, and, and to consider some explanations that are different from your own, and not to just assume, assume a naturalistic explanation simply because it's a natural or scientific explanation. That's not logic, it's just bias. You have to, the, we're, it's begging the question, we're asking the difference between a supernatural, supernatural explanation of the universe and a natural one, and so we've gotta look at which ones are better, and I'm asking you to consider the Christian viewpoint of this because it's actually pretty compelling and pretty consistent. Okay, I'm back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What did we just learn about God? We learned that he's unbelievably powerful. God was never created, he was never caused. He just always was there. And then one day he decided that he wanted a universe and he made himself one, which is crazy. Okay, like right there, you know that you're dealing with a being that is completely other. There's like God's stuff over here and then there's like everything else, which I know is a super sophisticated way to say that. Anyway, it's, he's like completely different than everything else. And because he created everything, it means that he owns everything and that everything that exists, including you, is entirely dependent on him, right? If you have an art project, if you create like a little clay pot in school or whatever, that is yours because you created it. That's how it works. God made everything and he made you. So you're dependent on him, even for the breath that you're taking right now. Now, that can be terrifying, because typically we mistrust power. But here's what's true is he's not just powerful, he's also good. Genesis 1 verse 16, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser right to rule, light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There's that repetition in Genesis 1 of over and over again of God doing something and then him saying, and it was good. Some of you mistrust power because it's been abused in your life and God's power would be terrifying if he would abuse it in your life, but he never does. And it's incredible news that a being with that sort of power would actually wanna use that power for your good. Like he always wants what's best for you. He always wants to give you what's good. He loves you and he wants to prop you up, not tear you down. It's for your good. And so what that means is that you can rest in the reliability of God. Okay, have you guys ever had that guy in a class project? You know what I'm talking about? The dude that just sits there and doesn't do anything? Okay, Application number one from Saul Company, don't be that guy, all right? Nobody likes that guy, but here's the deal. That guy is kind of smart because he's playing you. If you want good grades, he knows that you're gonna end up doing it. He just has to wait you out, all right? So a little insight into that guy. Try not to be that guy. But, but here's the deal. What happens when you have that guy in your group, in your class project? It gets stressful, 
right? Because you can't depend on him. You don't know if he's gonna do what he's supposed to do, so you gotta do it for him. A lot of you walk around this life as if God is unreliable as if he's gonna let you down and so you're stressed about your life and you're freaked out and you're afraid and you're anxious about everything going on. This is what I'm telling you is God is powerful and he's good, he's reliable, he's not gonna let you down. Here's the deal. God hung the moon in the sky. He can handle your test. Like it really is gonna be okay. You can trust him. So God is big, he's powerful, he's amazing. I love the picture of God like sitting at peace over the universe. He's not freaked out about anything. Like I picture him like chilling in a recliner over the universe. It's like easy for him to maintain the universe. He's big, he's up there, but he's also near. God is relational. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God gets done with this ridiculous creation. He, he makes stars and planets and, and galaxies and, and mountains and, and canyons, and, and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's not enough. God doesn't want a garden. He actually wants friendship. He, he wants relationship. And so then he creates us with an intelligence and an image of God unlike anything else because he wants friendship with us, which sounds a little like cheesy, like I don't love saying that, but Jesus himself said that. He said that he wants to call you a friend. God wants relationship with you. Okay, let that sink in. God wants to know you personally. Like, do you ever not get picked in junior high for basketball or whatever? They divide up to, into captains, and you're like, oh, man. I did. Junior high was rough, guys. That's another story. Uh, you ever been dumped? Do you have parents that bailed on you, left you, didn't care about you? Look, God wants you. He wants relationship with you. He loves you. That's crazy. And, and, and he's relational, but I want to clarify that. He wasn't just lonely, and he like needed to make a friend, and so he made you. That's not what this is about, okay? Like, he doesn't need you. He's not lonely. Okay, why was he not lonely? Well, let's look back at this at verse 26. There's some crazy language in here. It says this, let us make man in our image. Why is that plural? Human beings haven't been created yet, Who's the us? The answer is that God is the us. God is a community in and of himself. And some of you that have been around Christianity for a while is like, is he about to talk about the Trinity Day One Assault Company? Yes. Not sure why, but we're doing this. Love it. All right, here we go. God is a community in and of himself. He's the Trinity, which means that within God, there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So here are the things that have been, that Christians have affirmed are true about God throughout the centuries. First one is that God is three persons. Second, that there's one God. And three, that, that each person is fully God. And you're like, Jordan, one and two, they're not working well together. God is one person, but he's three persons, yes. Okay, but Jordan, that doesn't make sense. I'll actually give you that. 
That doesn't make a ton of sense to us. So you might be saying, well, that's illogical. How do you expect me to believe that? No, it's actually not illogical. It's a paradox. Here's what a paradox is. is something that comes across crazy at first, but when you investigate it, it's actually well-founded and it's beautiful. That is what's true about God, is that he is... He is so like categorically different and better and bigger and more powerful than us that our brains can't even get around the concept of him. And just because we can't understand him doesn't mean that that's not true about who he is. Have you ever had a five-year-old ask you questions? It gets freaky. They get dangerous because they're just smart enough to ask you really hard questions, but not smart enough to know the answers. We are that five-year-old. We're just smart enough to be able to ask these good questions about God, but not quite able to actually grasp who God is. So this is what I'm saying is God is mysterious. That's another truth about him. And I love that about him. Because if I could kind of cutely define God, if I could know everything about him, that'd be boring. Like, I'm not, I'm not into that. It's actually logical that a being like this, we wouldn't be able to fully understand so the point is not to perfectly figure God out. The point is to be amazed. The point is to step back and be like, wow, that's awesome. He's amazing. And part of the reason why God is so amazing is because he is his own community. Okay, so like before anything else existed, God was hanging out with himself. So picture like in a circle like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Don't take that too literally, okay? That's not actually how it works, but they're in this circle and God the Father's looking at God the Son and is like, man, you're awesome. You're the best, love you, man. And he's like, no, you're awesome. Well, I actually wouldn't say no. He'd be like, yeah, I am awesome. You're right, but you're awesome, God the Father. And then they're both looking at the Holy Spirit and they're like, you're cool, you're awesome. And, and it's, just, it's just escalating. They're just hyping each other up and it's getting better and better and better. That's the type of community that God has in and of himself. It's the type of community that if you got it, you would wanna do anything that you could to be in on that community. But here's the deal, is oftentimes the best community is actually pretty exclusive. And that's true of the community of God. It's incredibly exclusive. Only God is kind of allowed in there in that crazy existence in that community in and of themselves. So a few years ago, I was out in the Bay Area with some friends, and we went to Apple, Facebook, and Google all in the same day. Apple and Facebook, we just like kind of like showed up at, and it was not that great. But we knew somebody at Google, and so we got a tour of Google. And it like is everything that you think it is. There's just dudes playing video games all over the place. I don't get that. You're supposed to be working there, just chilling, playing video games. There's juice bars everywhere. It was incredible. And, I, and we walked past this room, and I looked inside, and I just saw this group of nerds huddled around a, a computer screen. And they were happy-looking nerds. Like they were, they were probably like changing the world right? They were, they were creating the next technology that's going to be amazing. And I don't even care about it, but I want it in there, dang it. Because it just looked awesome and they looked like they were doing something important. And so I kind of like wandered away from the group and I was maybe going to see if I could just like open the door and go in. Turns out Google has fairly tight security. And so this dude gets in my face. I'm like looking in the door and this dude gets in my face. He's like, who are you? What are you doing here? Get out. It was very intense. Luckily, my tour guide came back and got me. 
and we were, everything was fine. But here's the deal. I just like, I just wanted to be in there because it looked fun and it looked interesting and it looked like something awesome was happening, but so often you can't actually get into community like that. And that used to be the case with God. As he had this thing going on in and of himself that would be so cool to be in on, but we weren't allowed in because we weren't good enough. But I love that caveat of that's what used to be true about God. So I'm going to flip over to John 14, verse 18. It says this. So Jesus is talking about the Trinity again. He's talking about himself, about God the Father, about the Holy Spirit. And he said this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Let me, let me read verse 20 again because it was kind of trippy. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Here's what this is saying is that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you trust him for the purpose and meaning of your life, if you trust him to save you from the crap in your life and bring you into relationship with God, here's what happens is you become what the Bible calls in Christ. Is that you in Jesus in some senses become interchangeable. His identity becomes your identity. And so, like, here's what this means, is you've got the Trinity doing their thing, and Jesus is looking at God the Father like, you're awesome. And, and, and he's looking at the Holy Spirit saying, you're, ass, you're awesome. That was rough. Um, <laughs> let's just move on. Just acknowledge it and move on. That's going to be one of my moments that I tell about. All right. You're awesome. And here's what we do is we roll up into that on the merit of Christ and, and we kind of get in that and we're amazed by God and, and we kind of join in on that. I'm like, God, you're the best. You're awesome. Like Jesus, like we're behind that locked door and Jesus comes out and he throws open the door and he says, hey, you want to come in and check this out? And it's like, yeah, and, and we become worshipers. That's what it means to be a worshiper is you just see God for who he is and all of a sudden it's not like rules and religion. It's something that's beautiful to you. It's something that you love and that you enjoy and you're like, this is amazing. You're awesome, God. That's what it means to be a worshiper. But then what's crazy is that God then looks back at you and says, you're awesome. Here's why. is because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are God himself and they actually are amazing. They actually are awesome. And they stand in your place and they give you the opportunity to be there in the presence of God. Which is weird, right? Because you just are objectively not that awesome. Like, I love you. I'm glad you're here. You guys are great people, but in comparison to God, who is like the definition of that word, we come nowhere close to matching up, but Jesus is that in our place. Look at verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So typically children become orphans because of the mistakes and sins of their parents. But this is actually the opposite, is that we are self-made orphans. 
Because all of us, we talked about this at the kickoff if you were there, all of us have chased our sin in our own way of living. And here's what that does, is it removes us from the presence of God and we become fatherless. God was meant to be our heavenly father and we actually remove ourselves from his presence. We become self-made orphans. Your sin separates you from God. And so not only do we have to walk through life fatherless, but we also don't have any way to come home to him. This is what our sin does is we wander away from the true life that we were meant to live and we get lost out there with no map and we have no way of coming home. But here's what Jesus does is he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He refuses to leave you in that spot. And so how does he do it? How does he, how does he fix that problem by essentially becoming an orphan in your place? Okay, so Jesus was the one true son of the father. He, he was the one who never orphaned himself, who never separated himself from God because of his sin. But instead of sort of just taking that and living it up, he wanted to sacrifice that for you. And so on the cross, Jesus said this crazy sentence, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's what's happening on the cross. This is why this is so important for Christians is because God is giving Jesus the rejection and the separation that you and I deserved and should have had to pay. But he didn't want you to have to pay it, and so he puts it on Jesus, and for the first time in the history of the universe, God the Father and God the Son are separated because Jesus didn't want you to be separated from God, and so he takes on that punishment for you. He becomes the orphan so that you can be the son or daughter. He takes it in your place. And this is what happens when Jesus does that for you is that God adopts you into his family. God calls you out and he says, hey, I wanna give you a new life and a new name, which is crazy because in adoption, the kid does absolutely nothing to earn being a part of that family, right? What happens in adoption is, is parents come along and find someone who's in deep need of their love and they say, I wanna sacrificially give that love to you. And so they offer up that love. It's not like you have tryouts or something like that. It's not based on anything that that kid has done. It's based entirely on the love of the parent is that parent reaches out and brings them into their family. That's what God can do for you. So my nephew, his name's Jacob, and he was uh, recently adopted by my sister. I think we've got a photo of him. So this is Jacob and my sister, Lindsay. And so Jacob was in the foster system. He had gone through just more crap than any person should have to go through. And it was just in his like couple years of life. And he was essentially orphaned. And he started to become a part of my sister's family. But it hadn't become official yet until everything went through the courts. And then Jacob had adoption day with my sister. And on that day, they had like this this kind of ceremony where he got inducted into our family. And it was on that day that his name, uh, his last name officially changed. And he became a Herrera. That's my sister's last name. He became a Herrera. And, and that last name change marked the reality of there was now someone who would love him forever regardless and he now could be a part of a family. This is what I'm saying is that if you trust Jesus, you get a new last name. It's son or daughter of God. 
And you, for the first time in your life, can become a part of the family of God. And you can not just know about him, but you can know him. You can live with him. You can be with him. And here's your welcome home gift that he offers you. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Okay, so this is what this just said, is that God is your helper, which is kind of like an odd thing, right? Typically, you think of like, there's like the, the CEO of a corporation that has kind of a, a higher rank, and then there's people underneath him or her that, that sort of help and, and sort of serve that person. It's actually the opposite here, is that God comes to help you. He doesn't ask you to do stuff for him. He shows up and says, I want to do things for you. Here's why, is because God is entirely self-sufficient. He's got everything he needs in and of himself. He doesn't need anything from you. And that's great news for you. Because you don't have to perform for God. You don't have to earn your way into his family. He just offers it to you freely. And not only that, it's not only that you get a new last name, but the Holy Spirit actually can start to help you live like you're a part of a new family. When Jacob came into our family, he had no idea what it meant to live as a part of that family. And so he reverted back to his old tendencies and he was super defensive and he, and he was afraid of people and he was really disobedient and it was like ruining his life and he was really struggling. But over time, as, as my sister and Nate, her husband, were patient with him and provided some discipline and some structure and unconditional love, he started to learn that no matter what, he was a part of the family and he began to start to act like a Herrera. He had a new name all along, but over time, he began to act more and more like it and took advantage of the benefits of that. That's what I'm saying can be true for you, is that the Holy Spirit in your life can help you start to live like a Christian and take advantage of the benefits of being a Christian. That's his job. And this is why he can do that. Verse 17 is even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells within you and will be in you. This is what this just said is that God himself lives in you. He dwells in you. So not only does God bring you home, but he makes his home in you. So first he tells you about himself and he screams out to you about himself in creation then he shows you to himself in his word, excuse me, in his word and in his son. But then he goes even further than that. And he says, you know what? I'm actually going to come and I'm going to live with you and I will never leave you for the rest of your life. And for the rest of eternity, I will be with you. I will be at home in you. God wants to know you and God is worth getting to know. So don't come to Salt Company this year because you feel like you're sh you should or because you grew, grew up around Christianity. Don't come to Salt Company because you wanna find some friends. That's great too, do that. Come to Salt Company because the God who made you wants a relationship with you and you can know him. And that's what we wanna do here is we wanna figure out what it looks like to know him. Let me pray. God, I am blown away by that, that you would wanna know me, that you would want to know us. We're not anything special. We're not worth getting to know, but you chose to, to know us, to love us, and I'm super thankful for that.
And so God, I, I just, I don't, I, I'm thankful for all the numbers. I'm thankful for all the stuff we've got going on at Salt Company, but I don't want to be a ministry that just kind of does this stuff to do it. I want to be a ministry full of people who, who care about you and like want to know you and, and actually have been with you. I want that to be true of us. And so, so help that to be true. And I and got to pray for the people here who, who don't know if they actually can come home like that think they're too far gone, they've got too much sin, or, or that they don't know enough about you, or that there's kind of a process to come to you, I pray that they would give that up and see that you are offering to adopt them tonight. That if they want, they can come into your family. Help us to believe that that's true, because it is, Jesus. You want to bring us into your family, and thanks for everything that you did for us to bring us into that family. Thanks for Jesus becoming orphaned so that we don't have to. Thanks, Holy Spirit, for living inside of us so that we can have a new power in life to actually live the good life the way that you've designed us to live. Thanks for wanting to know us, wanting to be friends with us instead of just bailing on relationship with us. You've done so much for us, God, and, and we're thankful and we love you and we're pumped to, to get to sing some worship songs to you together now. Amen.